Welcome to episode 38 of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and today I have with me Jay Cameron, lawyer and litigation manager with the Center. This show, we are discussing the mandatory quarantine for those returning to Canada from abroad. If you travel outside of the country during the COVID emergency, when you return, you are required to stay inside your home for two solid weeks. No going anywhere, not even for groceries. The authorities can and do check up on you, and they can ask all kinds of intrusive questions. In a September 22nd press release, the Justice Center announced they had sent a legal warning letter to the Alberta Health Minister, Tyler Shandro, on behalf of an as-yet unnamed client. In that letter, dated September 18th, they asked that the government ease up a little on the quarantine restrictions. Jay, tell us more about the situation that prompted the legal warning sent to this provincial government. There's a growing awareness amongst civil liberties advocates that the quarantines are problematic from a constitutional perspective. And what I mean by that is, is that there are a very profound restriction on people's liberty, but there's no checks and balances like in the criminal or penal context. And so, for example, if uh, the government sentences you, if the court sentences you for um, some criminal code violation, that occurs after a lengthy process where, uh, whereby you're charged, uh, and that's after an investigation. There's a review of evidence. The prosecutor decides that the, that the case is going ahead. You have a right to counsel. Uh, you have a right to a trial and you have a right to defend yourself and to cross-examine crown witnesses. And none of these checks and balances are in place regarding the quarantine measures. And so the government just says, well, you're quarantining for 14 days and that's house arrest. Uh, essentially, you're not allowed to go outside the house. You can't go out for the necessities of life. You can't even walk your dog. And uh, so people coming back from outside of Canada or international travelers coming into Canada, um, you know, there's no evidence that they're sick. Uh, most of them are not symptomatic, but they're being ordered into what is the equivalent of house arrest without any of these checks and balances. And so uh, as we look at it, uh, we look at uh, Section 7 of the Charter and this section of the seven section seven of the charter says that you have a right to life, liberty, and security of the person. And obviously, if the government locks you in your house for 14 days, that's a very significant interference with your liberty interests. And so our client is outside of the country or was outside of the country a short time ago. And uh, she's got a very rambunctious uh, golden retriever. And she comes back into the country and, and she wants to go for a walk with her dog in isolation, not talking to anybody, uh, no threat to the community. She's asymptomatic. She, um, she hasn't even been given the option to test negative, but uh, certainly there's no indication that she's sick. And yet she's been informed, you have to stay in the house. And so... Um, you know, the, the dog can go outside. So the dog has greater liberties than the person. Uh, but you yourself can't go outside, even though it's beneficial to do so for fresh air, for exercise. And, uh, and it's, 
It is not a minimal impairment of your civil liberties to be told uh, you can't even go outside for a little bit of fresh air during your quarantine. And so I, I think that there has to be some judicial scrutiny of some of these measures, and uh, we're prepared to litigate over it. Okay, so what does the legal warning mean? Does that mean they either do something and or we sue, or what exactly is the legal warning? We'd like to see the Alberta government say, uh, if, if you're asymptomatic, um, you can go for a walk outside with your dog. And um, you, you still socially isolate. You're not in contact with anybody. Um, you know, you're not going to the mall. You're not going to concerts or anything like that. You're not getting in an elevator. But if you want to step outside with your dog and go for a walk, that's, that's reasonable. And uh, I think that most people in Alberta would agree that that's reasonable. Uh, and so, and not that it's a majoritarian question, because the real question is whether or not it's constitutional, whether or not your right to liberty uh, extends to allowing you to walk your dog when you're asymptomatic and uh, and and you're not you're not sick. Uh, we say it does. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit more about these dog rights. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, so. This is done under the Emergency Powers Act, isn't it? Or the Emergency Act that uh, they're instituting this, isn't that correct? Well, in Alberta, it's the Public Health Act. And uh, the chief medical officer of Alberta has made orders regarding uh, people uh, coming back from the country, outside of the country, pardon me, and, uh, and then there's some additional regulations and guidelines which are slightly different than the than the orders of the public uh, health official, the Dr. Hinshaw, who made them, and so <clears throat> you know that 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 really opens up a whole nother can of worms. So we can, we can get into that if you like. Uh, I'll briefly say that uh, charter infringements uh, are supposed to be rare in Canada, mm-hmm. and they're supposed to be um, only occurring in accordance with law as demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. And so one of the problems with what's going on in Canada broadly is that the legislature is sort of um, abdicated its legislative function to these public health officials and, and they're acting in a unilateral fashion. And of course, uh, you know, they may be well-meaning. Uh, I'm sure they are well-meaning. You know, they're doctors and they want to prevent the spread of infection, but they're uh, doctors are not qualified uh, or trained to consider a lot of different issues that are um, collateral to these lockdowns, and that's the impacts on uh, tourism and trade and and commerce and movement and the constitutional rights and the and the socioeconomic impacts of of uh, of lockdowns like the loss of jobs and and all of the domestic violence and the dramatic increase in suicide and so you know doctors <clears throat> doctors look at things from uh, a relatively narrow perspective and what's supposed to be happening with laws in Canada is that the legislature is supposed to be studying these things and asking questions and proposing amendments and and uh, hearing from experts and subcommittees and making revisions. And uh, and then the people's representatives are supposed to be making laws, and that's not occurring here. And so I think there's a very good argument to say that the orders of public health officials in Canada, uh, which are not being considered by the legislature legislatures at all, 
are unconstitutional. They are a, an unjustifiable infringement on civil liberties because they are not taking place at all in the context or in the framework of a free and democratic society. And they are arguably, they are not properly laws even because uh, some of them are not posted properly. They're contradictory. They're vague. People don't know what they are. And those are all principles that, uh, that a society which cherishes the rule of law um, holds as fundamental regarding the obligations of government and the rights of citizens vis-a-vis government. So in looking at this one case, you're essentially looking to get this client her right to go outside uh, without interfering with anybody else, and that is it. And if she wins that case, does that apply to everybody in Alberta, everybody in Canada? What happens if you win in a court of law, you get a court to, to judge this. So the, this, these quarantine provisions have never been expansively applied in Canada in history like they are mm-hmm. today. Okay. Um, and so there's, there's not a lot of law regarding the use of some of these provisions in the public health act in Alberta uh, in, in the way that they're being used. And so uh, really what has to happen because the legislature is only sort of, somewhat involved and you have the executive and the public health officials running the show, which is not how democracy is supposed to work. It's not how the constitution delegates powers uh, to parliament and the legislatures. Uh, Really what you need to do is you have to have the judiciary step in and say, uh, you guys have gone too far in this incident, this incident, this incident, and, uh, and to establish some, some, uh, some decisions regarding the rights of the populace in this circumstance and uh, that would have already happened, uh, perhaps in some cases, but the courts were closed. And uh, so when Canadians needed courts the most, uh, all the courts were shut down. And so you have civil liberties and constitutional rights, but you can't exercise them if you can't get to the judiciary and uh, the executives of the provinces and, and the cabinet in, in, uh, in Ottawa uh, is basically – you know they're they're doing what they want to do, and and uh, that that third branch of government, the judiciary, is not available to uh, to to check their power, and that's that's a very dangerous circumstance. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we can just quickly go down that side road here. Uh, talk about the shutdown of the courts and the fact that we have no recourse in a in a situation like this. Do you think maybe they could establish some law on that as well? Like at what? Maybe we could have an emergency court set up or a court system set up for an emergency situation. Uh, seems to me that that's a real problem, you know. I mean, when they take away, as you say, we need them the most. They shut down because of the same emergencies that we are all facing. Do we need to maybe remedy that situation going forward? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. no, it is. Uh, and, you know, I think that the country has learned a great deal Um I don't think that it's learned as much as it needs to have learned, uh, especially uh, regarding the protection of civil liberties in the face of of, uh, of the use of emergency powers. But you know, for example, Kevin, the the Justice Center launched litigation to um, make sure that family members have access to their loved ones in long term care facilities. And, um, you know, this is a very serious thing because these people in the long-term care facilities, they've been locked inside for months. They've been isolated in rooms. They've not been able to see their family members. People can't access them. 
Um, people are dying in these facilities. You've heard the reports about conditions where there's cockroaches and rats and dead people in the hallway and the military went in and, uh, and you know, the circumstance was absolutely horrific. And, and, uh, and so you would think that as far as the, the fundamental constitutional rights of Canadians that, you know, your ability to go in and check on your mom and your dad or your sister and your brother, you know, that that's, that's of serious import. But the Justice Center was forced to uh, pass a hurdle to show that this was sufficiently urgent uh, to justify having the Ontario courts look at it. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, thankfully, we've, we've uh, passed that threshold and the case is going uh, to be considered by the courts in Ontario regarding the rights of these long-term uh, care residents, you could almost say inmates and their families. But, uh, you know, like I said, if you can't get in front of the courts, your rights are uh, not worth very much. Just to be clear on this current situation uh, in Alberta, you're not facing that same kind of hurdle here, are you? Or they have a they have that kind of tier system going here? So most of the courts in Alberta uh, shut down and uh, you couldn't get a hearing uh, unless you proved that the matter was urgent. You had to fill out a form. And, uh, and so the circumstance, uh, the circumstance was changed, uh, was the same in most provinces across the country, if not all provinces. And so you had, um, you know, a, a very, you had very dramatic interferences with civil liberties and, uh, you know, and, and, and people with many, many questions and, and just, uh, and nobody to turn to, unfortunately. And hopefully that never happens again. But, uh, really, you're right. I think what needs to happen is an application needs to be made to the court on that point. Yeah. Okay. So that what you're saying there is you're looking for clarification from the court on operating in an emergency circumstance. Is that it? Yeah. I think that's it. Okay. I was wondering how we we're going to lobby for that. Uh, as you say, it's one of the lessons learned. It's one that we've learned. I don't know whether the government has learned it. That's for sure. Okay, back to the case of uh, the quarantine. I know that Canada has a quarantine act in their emergency uh, measures, and it's been enacted a couple of times. Does that come into play here as well? I mean, it is the pretty much mirroring the Alberta thing, uh, and it was extended. Uh, let's see. The story that I have says it was extended to September 30th. That's the Canadian one. Is that coming to play here at all? It does. So uh, if you've been outside the country, federally, the federal government says that you have to quarantine for 14 days. And uh, again, you could be asymptomatic. They're not testing people. They're not giving people an opportunity to show that they don't have the virus. They're just ordering everybody to quarantine for 14 days. And that has, mm. that has crippled industry. In Canada, right. Canada has, even with the extraordinary stimulus measures that have been introduced, Canada has lost well over a million jobs at this point. So the hiring has increased since uh, the dark days of, of April, uh, but a million jobs at least have been lost. And um, it has, of course, uh, dramatically reduced tourism, international travel. Uh, it is all but decimated the hotel and restaurant industry. And uh, that has cost a lot of people their jobs. And uh, the airlines have been lobbying the federal government for months, uh, WestJet, Air Canada, Air Transat, I understand. 
And they've been asking for the ability to test people at the airports when the planes land so that people don't have to quarantine if they don't have the virus. And uh, the federal government is resisting that. And, um, you know, whereas many other countries in the world, many countries are opening back up and have either dramatically reduced quarantines or they have dispensed with quarantines altogether, which has allowed uh, trade and uh, and tourism and uh, you know travel to be reestablished uh, in a lot of these countries, Canada refuses to do that. And the question is is whether or not it's justified. And we know now that um, according to the the CDC stats from September, the total uh, percentage of deaths of people who have uh, tested positive for COVID nineteen is 06 percent. Uh, and that's an, that's an aggregate percentage, but it's dramatically less for people under 65. And if you're under 15, your risk is one in 35 million and you have of dying from COVID-19. And so you have a better chance of being struck by lightning. Um, in Alberta, the average age of COVID related fatalities is 84 years old. So just think about that and let it sink in. And then I'll give you another stat. The average life expectancy in Alberta is 83. So. The, the average age of COVID-related fatalities is one year older than the average life expectancy. And these kinds of statistics have uh, Premier Jason Kenney correctly pointing out that, uh, that you are not going to uh, justifiably lock down society in the way that occurred before. And... Uh, you know, I think that there's dawning awareness in the parts of some governments, uh, certainly I think in the, on the part of the Alberta government that, uh, that the lockdowns were, you know, they, they had these profound implications to, to business and trade and tourism and the economy generally. And you have all the collateral damage of people who couldn't get in for their, their surgeries and their procedures and their doctor's appointments and things like that. And I think there's a dawning, dawning awareness in Alberta that that's not the direction that they're going to go again. And uh, I'm I'm glad for that um, because it's significant movement um, in the right direction. I think it's much more rational. But you have other provinces where you know they're uh, they're threatening wholesale lockdowns again, and uh, like the situation in Quebec, uh, which you may have heard about a couple weeks ago, where uh, the Dr. Jacques Girard, who heads the Quebec City Public Health, uh, uh, the Quebec uh, Health Authority. He ordered, now this is he himself, ordered the arrest and isolation of two individuals. And they were isolated in a secret facility um, where the location is unknown. And uh, that ought to to raise the eyebrows. It ought to raise more than the eyebrows. It ought to raise the ire and the concerns of Canadians because there were no lawyers involved in that. There was no judges. There was no bail hearing. Um, family can't visit these people. The facility is secret. How long are they there for? Well, only Dr. Gerard knows for how long. Um, what is he basing it on? Well, we don't know that either. Um, you know, so he's the one deciding their sentence and, uh, he's the one ordering their arrest. And he was, he was, he says that police cooperation was exceptional. And uh, when he did his news conference, he was nearly rubbing his hands with glee at his new power because he, you know, he has this enormous power. He can order the arrest of citizens and isolate them in secret facilities and uh, he can do whatever he thinks he needs to do. But 
that's uh that's far more scary that's far more scary than the virus um, yeah was he challenged breakdown. no i don't can he be I, challenged well he can be challenged uh in the courts in quebec uh but uh, you know therein lies one of the other problems that people are uh, sort of going along with this uh, in a very sheep like fashion uh acquiescing to what's occurring and um you know, be out of fear uh, because they're scared. And, uh, you know, when really, uh, you know, and I'm not saying that the virus hasn't killed people, obviously the virus has killed people, uh, but they ought to be, they ought to be terrified at this unchecked use of unilateral state power. And so <clears throat> the other issue is, uh, or a collateral issue is, is that if you're isolated in one of these places on the basis of a test, well, how do you get to challenge the test, right? Say you're tested mm -hmm. for COVID-19 and the state wants to isolate you and place you in under arrest in one of these secret locations. Well, do you get to call your lawyer and say, I want to challenge the results of the test? I don't think they're accurate, right? And these, these COVID tests have been notoriously inaccurate. They've returned all these false positives. People have been tested uh, repeatedly, even the same day, and and they get negative and positive results, and uh, and so there's this whole body of law regarding testing for things like drunk driving. For example, you get pulled over, and and you're there's a suspicion that you're driving while impaired, and the police ask you to blow into this machine, right? The blood, the breathalyzer, and and you know, and then you return a certain blood alcohol level uh, based on the reading of the machine. Well. You know, the courts don't just take that uh, at face value without giving a person who is charged with an offense the opportunity to challenge the results of the breathalyzer. And we know for a fact, and these are finely tuned machines, but they still make mistakes. And the people using them make mistakes. The machines sometimes are not properly calibrated. They haven't been checked in service sometimes. And then there are all these other defenses regarding uh, the results from a breathalyzer test, like the last drink defense. And, um, you know, whether it was, you can ask the police officer whether or not he's properly trained. And is this the device he was trained on? And has he reviewed the manual? And how can he be sure he was operating it correctly? And, you know, when was the last time it was serviced? And so you have all these checks and balances. And sometimes, lots of times, not just sometimes, but many times, the results of these breathalyzers are thrown out and people are not convicted because the threshold does not reach beyond the criminal standard of beyond a reasonable doubt. But with these COVID tests, you know, you blow positive, for, for lack of a better word, you test positive for COVID. You know, you don't know you have it. That's the, you know, people are saying, well, this is the most, it's so dangerous that the government is the one who has to tell you that you have it because you don't know yourself because you don't feel sick. And, um, you know, so you, you test positive for COVID. Well, how do we know that that's accurate? Mm. I mean, really, uh, what, what we're hearing from the medical community is, is that sometimes these tests, uh, the, the, the devices are so hypersensitive that what they're, what they're, what they're testing you positive on is the remnants of a virus that you had weeks or months ago. So you test positive, but you're no longer, it's no longer in your system as a, as an active alive virus. Uh, but you still have to quarantine for 14 days. And well, and who do you go to to contest that? Mm. Uh, especially with the courts shut, you know, you know there's nowhere to go to. Uh, and so 
I, we're, we're, we're seeing a breakdown in the safeties for, um, for the use of this extraordinary power. And the government is going to say, well, it's justified because, uh, there's, you know, it's, um, you know, COVID has killed people and, and we want to protect the public. And so therefore, uh, we're, you know, we're justified in, in locking you in your house for 14 days. Um, but, you know, that people, people forget that house arrest is a, uh, is an authorized punishment under the criminal code. And, you know, so, so it is used in a, with, with respect to offenses that are, uh, where the sentencing provisions are for less than two years. But all around the country right now, there are people who are serving criminal sentences at their own homes um, because it is a punishment from the state for, uh, for their, their conviction of whatever it is that they were convicted of. But the people who are being uh, ordered into house arrest, quarantine, right, today, they haven't mm. done anything wrong and they haven't had an opportunity to talk to anybody about uh, you know, for for lack of a better word, their 14 day sentence, and so it it raises concerns from a civil liberties perspective. Are you going to be using those type of analogies in your argument uh, to the provincial government? I suppose you already have in the letter calling it like a house arrest. I guess if you go before court, will you be making that type of argument as well? The yes, the, the fact the similarities between house arrest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm. You know, and. Uh, for, for people who have been through the lockdowns and, you know, they haven't been able to go to their jobs or see their families or, or go outside. Um, some of these, some of these lockdowns, uh, for, you know, depending on the person, they take a very significant toll. It's lonely and it's, uh, disheartening and you're, you, you know, you haven't done anything wrong, but you can't go outside even to go for a walk, which is beneficial. You know, the, it's supposed to be a free country, but all of a sudden you're under house arrest and, and what have you done? Well, you haven't, you haven't done anything, right? And there's, there's no proof that, uh, that you're a danger to the community. You haven't been tested. You're just being quarantined. And, uh, we know that the tests exist. Uh, like I said, I mean, they're problematic, but we know that the tests exist, but people aren't even being given an opportunity when they come back into the country to use them. Yeah, actually, I, I guess I'll stick in my two cents here because I did hear this this morning from somebody uh, who shall go nameless. It has to do with certain caregivers who uh, a lot of them come from overseas and, or, and they go back to visit people overseas. So they come back, they have to quarantine. Uh, unfortunately, they only get two weeks vacation a year. And uh, if they go into quarantine, their vacation is gone. And uh the company has the right to fire them at that point, which, you know, I guess adds to the potential damage of the quarantine as well for certain people. You know, the fact that they, the quarantine can cause them to lose their job. I don't know whether you're aware of that because I guess I'm springing that on you right here, but it might be something to uh, consider, uh, you know, people losing their employment because of these quarantines. Right. And it impacts your, it obviously impacts your mobility rights because you, mm -hmm. uh, you have a right to enter and leave the country under section six of the charter. And, uh, you know, as we, as we know, the government for a little while had been curtailing that right by refusing to issue or renew passports. And, uh, and the justice center actually filed a lawsuit on that. And a short time later, the government began processing passport applications, but, 
the practical reality is, is that there's such a backlog that you, since, you know, since this whole thing started, you have a lot of people outside of Canada who can't come back because their passports have expired. And so this is sort of a, a sort of a collateral idea that you're, you're talking about because, uh, you know, you want to leave the country. But the practical reality is, is that because you have to quarantine when you come back, uh, that there's a very severe toll on your ability to, uh, on a lot of people to, to keep their employers happy to continue working. And so they, you know, the practical reality is that they can't leave. Mm-hmm. And, um, so in this instance, we're talking about somebody who is outside the country. How about the people that have to quarantine in the country? I know that, uh, a lot of people that I know, uh, would travel by airplane but they won't do it because they fear that they're going to get slapped with a 14 day quarantine order and they don't want to be stuck in the other side of the country, uh, you know, for two weeks. I, that's, uh, I know a couple of people personally that have driven great distances <laughs> in order to avoid this situation. Does this, would this apply to that situation as well? Like domestic travel or is it strictly for international travel that we're dealing with here? Well, I think anybody who's ordered quarantined by the government uh, ought to be able to contest that, uh, from a civil liberties perspective, especially when the government is not, they're not, they are not bothering to go through any of the safeties, the checks and balances that ought to be in place for that type of measure. And again, if, if COVID-19, uh, maybe I, I get some hate mail over this, but I'm going to say it anyways. If COVID-19 was the Ebola virus, uh, or if it was, you know, anthrax, or if it was the, the bubonic plague, right? The Black Death, you know, then you, you would have much greater, ju- uh, a justification for the government to impose these types of extraordinary measures. But COVID-19 is, uh, you know, as we know, as I said at the beginning of, of our discussion here is, in aggregate, according to the CDC, um, kills 0.6% of people who get it. And you start reducing the, the people over 75 and that figure dra- falls dramatically. And, and, and that figure, Kevin itself is based on the, the known cases. Um, mm. but we know from, we know from, uh, from testing of, of, uh, cadavers, for example, uh, of people who died. Back earlier in 2020, um, long before uh, people were aware that COVID-19 was around, that those people also had the virus. And so a, a much larger percentage of the population has had the virus. And, and so that drives the statistics down further, you know, perhaps much further. Um, you know, there's speculation that COVID-19, the coronavirus that came from China, uh, was out in the public in international travel, you know, going through the international travel uh, channels back in November 2019. And so, you know, you think about the people who were exposed to it from that point forward, you know, if they started testing in, in April, um, but it was really around since November, you think about the vast amount of people who were exposed and who are alive today functioning um, many of whom never even got sick. And, and what does that do to the statistics? It, re- it reduces them dramatically. And mm. so, you know, is the government justified to, in locking you in your house uh, for 14 days over a virus that, 
is uh, is nowhere near as big a threat as what they said it was going to be. Like you, you've you've heard about the Imperial College statistics and Neil Ferguson and the misprojections and you know the the you know Neil Ferguson has a long and storied history of incorrect projections and uh, the Imperial College projections were used to justify the lockdown measures and they've been proven to be you know very false, uh, very incorrect, you know erroneous, whatever you want to say. They're they're a load of crap, basically, right? For, yeah, for lack of a better word. The, in Saskatchewan, for example, you know, the projections were that 10,000 people were going to die. Well, they, they reduced that to 3,000. You know, now we look at the statistics and, you know, 24 people in Saskatchewan have died. Well, when is enough enough? Right? When is enough for, for, uh, for the legislature to take back control and rescue us all from the medical authorities who, uh, who are running Canadian society these days? Uh, well, I don't know. That's, uh, we tried to come up with an answer last week when I was talking to Marty Moore about uh, how do we hold the public health officials accountable uh, because we can't do it democratically. And the only thing that we could come up with was the law courts. And then, of course, we run right back into the problem of are the law courts available so we're just kind of chasing our tail there, you know, that's the, uh, I guess that's the, the, the thing. Well, the uh, good news is, is that the Justice Center will shortly be uh, filing a legal challenge uh, to other aspects of the Public Health Act in Alberta. And mm -hmm. one of the things that we will be challenging is the use of unilateral authority by the chief medical officer um, for, for the reasons that I've stated. Essentially, Canada, Alberta, the the provinces, anywhere where a medical official is in charge as opposed to the legislature are living in a medical dictatorship. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like you said, you correctly pointed out, this person cannot be removed by the electorate. We don't have a vote, right? Mm -hmm. No matter how bad of a job they do. And, you know, in some places you could argue that they're, you know, they're desperately in need of being replaced. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, we can't vote them out. And it's the premiers of the province who have the ability to appoint a different chief medical officer. But really what needs to happen is the legislatures need to come back into control so that the people's representatives can, can, uh, can right the ship here. Mm -hmm. And you say you've, you're filing something to seek that remedy. Is that, is that the way I, you said yeah, it? Is within the next couple of weeks here, within the next few weeks, the justice center will be filing a, a, a constitutional challenge to the, use of unilateral authority by uh, the chief medical officer in Alberta. That's correct. Okay. So Alberta is going to be the test case. You're not going after the Canadian chief medical officer there, Tam or whatever her name is, Thea. At, at this point, we're going to launch it in Alberta. So okay. uh, the, uh, the other, each, each of the regimes across Canada are regarding emergency powers. They exist under different statutory frameworks. Some of them are similar to Alberta, but some of them are very different. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, uh, we're very familiar with the public health act in Alberta because of our ongoing legal challenge to bill 10, right. uh, which transferred legislative authority to the minister of health and to the other cabinet ministers to suspend or amend, uh, laws, uh, during a public health emergency. And so we've, we've extensively studied the public health act and we've concluded that, um, uh, that there are a number of constitutional problems with it. And uh, it's far t it's far past time for uh, these provisions to be in front of the judiciary, right? So, 
this coming action is based on those warnings that you send sent previously about Bill 10, or is that a separate thing? Or So we, we issued a, a warning letter about Bill 24. And right. uh, uh, Bill, well, yeah, no, but you're right. Uh, <laughs> Bill 10 also. Uh, but we've launched litigation on Bill 10. Bill 24 is, um, uh, we are, some of the things that Bill 24 did also are very problematic from a constitutional perspective. For example, the um, the the chief medical officer is the one who can rescind orders or also has the power to rescind orders as opposed to the legislature. And some of those orders have been codified in the Public Health Act uh, itself. And, uh, and the chief medical officer continues to make uh, orders um, pursuant to her uh, authority under that act as amended by Bill 24. And so, you know, there's there's fertile ground for a legal challenge mm. we've concluded right okay so yeah you're going ahead with that okay well that's great cuz that's actually what i was hoping would happen eventually cuz i i see these i mean you can blame the governments politically cuz they are accountable they are the ones who appoint but they are trying to gather the best advice that they can get cuz you know they're going to pay the price whether uh, an outbreak uh, eliminates a lot of people or people a lot of people lose their jobs and their economy tanks so i wanted to see the health officers questioned or uh, and i'm glad that you guys are going to do that of course that means it has to go through the court system and that will take some time but yeah the you know when you when you uh, get diagnosed with something from a doctor. You know, a doctor says, well, you've got X. You know, uh, I think that really, you know, we ought to, you know, we ought to do Y. Mm-hmm. And uh, you think to yourself, well, I, that, you know, intuitively, I'm concerned about that. I'm not sure it makes sense. Um, the thing that you do is you go seek a second opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Alberta legislature is not seeking a second opinion. They are sort of stuck with the recommendations of the chief medical officer of health in Alberta and, uh, you know, doctors' opinions regarding how to do things, they differ, mm-hmm. right? And uh, just because people are, are medical officials doesn't mean they see things in the same way. And so, you know, there are doctors who have protested um, at Congress regarding the lockdowns. You know, there are doctors who have, who have signed letters of protest, um, in, in other countries like Germany. And they've said, this is, you know, this is repressive and it's a mistake. This is not the way to handle this. And, uh, you know, don't people in a democracy have a right to have that opinion considered by the people who are making the rules for the province or the country? And the answer is yes, because otherwise, um, you have information, uh, you have, you have decisions on, on what ought to transpire in Canadian society being made in, in potentially a factual vacuum and, uh, and, and an opinion vacuum as well, right? You have one person and they're the ones who are calling the shots. And that's not how, that's not how a democracy works. And that's not how, uh, a constitutional monarchy like Canada is supposed to work where power is delegated, lawmaking power is delegated to the legislature and the parliament, not to individuals. The whole thing, the way that the whole thing is functioning right now, Kevin, is it's, it's, it's backwards. It's turned the whole thing on its head. And, um, the, the judiciary is Canadians last hope. And, and, uh, 
you know, Canadians, uh, you know, when they look at the situation now, they think to themselves, well, you know, what about the Constitution? Um, you know, Section 52 of the Constitution Act, uh, 1982, says that the Constitution is the supreme law in Canada. Is the Constitution being considered? You know, what about my charter rights, which I've been told are fundamental and can't be infringed, um, absent extraordinary necessity? You know, like, so. Um, One of the things that gets me here is going back to something you said much earlier in the show here, and that was the lack of case law on any of this. You made it made me think, well, this isn't our first rodeo. Why don't we have any case law on this? Is there a reason for that uh, gap in our lawmaking ability? We just haven't had a chance to run this stuff by the courts? Or are we not looking far enough, perhaps, maybe looking at British common law? Why is there this gap? Well, so as far as the Public Health Act in Alberta goes, some of the provisions in that act, they go back to 1918. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the charter came into effect in 1982. So certainly, uh, you know, these, these provisions, uh, have never, they've never faced charter. Some of these provisions have never faced charter scrutiny, uh, and never, there was never an opportunity to do so. That's why they've never faced it. Okay. And, um, uh, but you know, the public health act is occasionally used for isolated, uh, outbreaks in certain communities and it's an effective tool for uh, isolating an outbreak in in a localized area, which is actually, from our reading of the statute, that's how the chief medical officer's powers are supposed to uh, be utilized. Um, she's supposed to look at things and and say, well, you know, this I know that this there's an outbreak in this area. Uh, you know, I'm going to take steps to make sure that uh, the people who are exposed, um, and we know that they were exposed, uh, and you know. I'm going to make sure that this little community over here, uh, that we have proper medical treatment. Uh, but that's very different than saying, well, COVID-19 is out there somewhere. And it's, you know, I, I think it's sufficiently dangerous to lock down the whole province. So, you know, if you're a salon owner, you can't cut hair tomorrow. Well, a lot of these, these measures were, were very broad based. And, uh, you know, you have places in Alberta that have never seen a single case of COVID-19, but they're all subject to the same requirements. Right. Okay. And like you say, we've never had a chance to test these on the chart with the charter, but even prior to the charter, we had, I guess, common law rights, didn't we? And they've never done anything like this, even when we didn't have the charter. As far as I understand it, I know that there were war measures act, um, impositions like, blackouts and stuff like that, but it was never done on a wholesale basis, like right across the country or across an entire province, you know? So that's why I'm wondering why we, we're in a situation where it seems like we're doing this for the first time and nobody knows what's going on. Yeah, no, you're right. And the, the, the public health act, it's been around for a long time, but it's so seldomly used and it was so restrictively used when it was used that it was, uh, it, it didn't raise any constitutional concerns um, in the past uh, because it was it was utilized in a very narrow fashion. It's never been utilized in the way that it that it has been utilized in Alberta uh, for COVID nineteen, and it's just it raises a host of issues that the judiciary needs to um, needs to determine 
as as soon as possible, really. Right. Yeah. And I suppose that is the avenue to deal with this. In speaking with Marty last week, we were talking about political solutions, not that he was advocating any political solutions. He was simply saying that that is an avenue that is available. And I suppose if there were an election, and they have called an election in British Columbia, I suppose that that it will be an election issue broadly, but nobody's advocating for the type of changes so far. Uh, that we've, we're discussing here, you know, they're going to have to amend legislation. Are they going to have to run on that legislation in a election situation at all? I'm, I, I know that we're not supposed to be touching politics here because we're supposed to be neutral. But uh, looking beyond the elections and uh, the pandemic, I guess you're going to have to fight these things through to the bitter end in order to get that legislative change eventually or that body of law. Yeah, the ultimately speaking, the judiciary has to make decisions regarding what has occurred to establish uh, law. And, and as you know, some of these cases are currently in front of the courts in the United States. And there was a judge in Pennsylvania who who uh, has struck down the entire lockdown uh, in that state uh, as unconstitutional. Mm. And and uh, he said. Uh, what I think many, many, many people are thinking in Canada that just because there's an emergency doesn't mean you can, you can take everybody's civil liberties away like this in the way that they're doing it. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I think that, uh, I know that there are judges in Canada who, um, have a great concern for the rule of law. And for the constitutional overreach, uh, which has occurred, and you know they are they are ready to uh, perform their function as judicial uh, as the third branch of government to ensure that civil liberties are respected and that the state goes so far and no further. Okay, how you how do you know that? <laughs> Without giving in away any secrets here, uh, you're say, are you reading this in op eds that they're writing, or are this, is this a a lawyer grapevine thing. Uh, no, I the 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 judges the judges in in Canada understand that their function is to uphold the rule of law and the constitutional rights of Canadians, and so uh, in various circumstances where the justice center has been in court, where the state has argued, well, this is this is absolutely justified, right? It's it's absolutely justified to prevent you from expressing your opinion or it's absolutely justified uh, that we take your children away from your foster home. Uh, the judiciary has stepped in to say, well, no, it's not absolutely justified and you are acting in a way that is contrary to the constitution. And, uh, you know, Kevin, so I, I know that there are principled individuals out there who are, I, you know, I can't say who I've spoken with, but I know that there are people out there mm-hmm. who have concerns, very grave concerns about the way that the state is operating. You take what, like I said, about what's going on in Quebec with secret isolation facilities. Well, what a wonderful way to get rid of political dissidents. You know, I mean, is it, if you squint a little bit, uh, you can see how that would be a very effective political tool. You know, somebody secretly tests positive for COVID and they end up in a secret isolation center and then they secretly just disappear. And extraordinary um, rendition, I think they used to call it. Right. I mean, are we that far from from uh, from things right now in Canada? Um, I uh, I think any time where you have one individual ordering the police around, and the police are just doing what that individual says, 
And, uh, and you have these, these places where people go and, and you don't know when, you know, you, you can't go see them and they can't come see you and, uh, and you don't know how long they're there for. I think that that's a very, very dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a very dangerous precedent to set. So I know the judges would be, um, judges are, are willing and able to perform their duty, uh, regarding, uh, upholding the rule of law. And uh, we look forward to giving them the opportunity, just like many other lawyers in Canada look forward to giving them the opportunity to do so. Okay. Uh, just a technical question then on the shutdown of the courts. Uh, they were shut down by the governments then, right? So the government no. took away their power or what? Unfortunately, uh, many of the courts shut down uh, on their own on their own order. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I... Uh, I'm not privy to to the discussions, of course. I'm not privy right. to uh, the you know all of the things that may, went into those decisions. All I know is that um, the shutdown, the broad shutdown of courts in Canada, is unprecedented. Right, and like I said, occurred at a time when the populace uh, needs the judiciary the most. So I'm glad to see the courts back open. Right. Okay. I just wanted to know whether the judges could say. Now we'd like to open the courts, uh, contrary to what the government wants. That's that's all I was wondering. Who has the power to shut them down and who has the power to open them up? I don't know, actually. I think there's a lot of different considerations regarding uh, reopening the courts and you know, mm. what capacity and staffing concerns and you know the union workers' concerns. But you know, for example, in Ontario, the prosecutors' union brought an injunction application to prevent the court from opening up again. And, uh, well, why did they do that? Well, because they're scared to go to work because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that is just, uh, that is just not acceptable. You cannot have the wholesale suspension of, uh, checks and balances in the system, which governs the protection of civil liberties because people are afraid to go to work. That's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I'm glad to see the courts opening back up, but I think it's a shameful thing for lawyers who are officers of the court to attempt to shut down the courts um, uh, to the detriment of of the protection of the rights of Canadians. Shame on them. Okay, good. At least I figured out, I think I understand who shut them down now. Because I was wondering whether there was some kind of battle between the branches of government, you know, between the judiciary and the government, or whether they were, you know, these, these concerned judges could open the courts again. That's what I was wondering. But I guess there are all kinds of interested parties, as you say, as you point out. So, uh, at any rate, like I said, we seem to have sidetracked. That was a sidetrack. And now it's like become the main issue here. Back to the quarantine, just to finish up. Uh, is it just the one client at this point? At this point, it's just the one client. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, there's a number of collateral cases we're looking at uh, related to quarantine and lockdown measures. But at this point in time, the challenge to the quarantine is just the one client. That's correct. Oh, okay. And if you go to the Justice Center and look on their website, uh, look, go to the Justice Center website, you'll see a picture of the dog. Just to bring it all back to that, because I guess this uh, person, they want to remain anonymous at this time. Isn't, is that correct? Yeah, we haven't identified them for the purposes of the media, but um, uh, the government uh, has been ma- made aware of the circumstance. And, and really, like I said, Kevin, I mean, uh, we think it's a very, very reasonable, logical exception for mm-hmm. people who are going through the 14-day quarantine to be able to walk outside uh, by themselves. 
with their dog or without their dog, uh, but to but to get fresh air. You know, I mean the 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 Alberta Health Authority when they call, um, uh, according to what we've heard, is that they say, well, uh, you know, how are you getting enough fresh air, right? How are you getting food? Well, that's nice of them to care. I mean, since they've locked you in your house, mm-hmm. um, um, but the reality is, is that. Uh, people aren't meant to live in in isolation and in in their little boxes, and uh, um, you know where they can't move around. And so we everybody recognizes that it's a healthy thing to get out in the fresh air and go for a walk. And there's no risk of transmission if you do that. You know that's why uh, the mask laws in uh, in in place in the country don't extend in most places to walking around outside uh, because that would be. Uh, a ridiculous overreach. Right. Yeah. And you, that's, I guess why you're, you're simply talking about, you're not getting rid of the quarantine entirely. You're simply looking to modify the quarantine just to be clear. Is that what you're looking at right here? Just yeah. I mean, at, at, as, at this point, what we're looking at is a modification. Like I said, we think it's a reasonable one. Right. Yeah. Okay. So they, are you doing that because you think it'll be easier to win or is uh, that your client's wishes or exactly why? Because I mean, it seems to me, I don't, I'm not a medical expert. It seems to me that you should be able to come back and take a test for infection. And uh, if you're not infected, you just go on with your life. You don't need a quarantine, but I don't know whether. We've, we've, we've written a letter to the federal government. Uh, and and said exactly that that oh, tests okay. are tests tests are available. Why aren't you testing? Right, allow international travel to to uh, to restart, and allow the hospitality and tourism sectors to restart, and um, you know help Canadians out. Help Canadians, help help Canadians get out of the hole that you have put them in with your lockdowns. Uh, you know, but uh, so far those pleas, like I said, have fallen on deaf ears. So it's time to force the issue, I guess. It is. It is. And but as far as your question about whether or not we're challenging the, the entire quarantine on the, with respect to this client, what we're asking for at the moment, and we haven't filed court papers, but we're at, what we're asking for is confirmation from the Alberta government that if she leaves the house to go walk the dog by herself, that she will not be penalized. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I understand. And so, I mean, if, uh, you know, if, if it comes to filing court papers, we'll reconsider about what exactly we're asking the courts to give us. I understand. Okay. Well, probably a good place to end it right there. Um, thanks so much, Jay, for participating in this episode 38 of Justice with John Carpe. I'll leave the last word to you. Thanks so much, Kevin. I appreciate being here and thanks for your 